Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Heaven and earth are full of the majesty of your glory. In the name of our triune God, who is all of the above, holy, eternal, and majestic. We'll see him soon, my dear friends. I was going to visit my old friend, Pastor Bob Hartman, in his hospice on uh, 27th and Drexel on Friday, and man, I hit the biggest traffic snarl up ever, and I thought, what is this? Frank this is Franklin, Wisconsin. For Pete's sake, it's supposed to be wide open spaces. 27th Street was completely blocked off. How many of you know why? Raise your hand if you do. I'm glad if you don't, because it's, it's part of what's been a really miserable, miserable, messy, chaotic week. Some knucklehead carjacked a car, and not only one, but two, a, a double-headed carjacking. And it, I'm saying this not to be fun. How would you like somebody jumping into your vehicle and put a gun on your head and said, drive? What a terrifying moment. You don't know if he's going to steal your car and blow your brains out all over your driver's window. What a terrifying moment. Ended up with a high-speed chase, 80 to 100 miles an hour, flaming around the Franklin Walmart. And uh, finally, the cops took him out uh, after he fled with a gun, aimed the gun at the cops. And what a mess. And I got to experience uh, the south end of that on 27th and Drexel. What a mess. It was, it was a mess last week. Can you imagine living in Louisiana? And not only did Hurricane Ida pound the coast again, this was one nasty cane. It not only hammered the, the coastal area, it went inland and dumped insane amounts of water all the way up like the uh, east of the Appalachians. The whole southeast part of the United States got drenched. Homes flooded and wrecked, businesses wrecked, some people were killed because of the flooding, some people are still missing, haven't been found in all of that flooding. At the same time that the southeast part of the country is drowning, the southwest and mountain west are so dry, uh, one little spark, one little uh, bit of lightning sets off forest fires that they just cannot seem to put out. It's been a tough week. Oh, did I mention Afghanistan? After 20 years, what really have we got left to show for it? We invaded the country on the pretext of getting rid of the Taliban, and they now are masters of all of Afghanistan. I'm sad for all of the country. I'm sad for the Gold Star parents who lost men or women in combat there. I'm sad for the people who had some hopes of maybe being able to rejoin the community of nations in the 21st century. I'm terrified for the Christians in Afghanistan because the country is now ruled not by uh, agnostic, neutral type of government that, that they had, but it's ruled now with an extremely intense Islamist dictatorship that uh, wants to govern the whole country now by the rules of Allah. What's to become? of the Christians in that country. Some of them maybe got out. I'm sure plenty didn't. Will they be allowed to keep their faith? Will they be allowed to express and worship and share their faith? Don't know, but I am afraid. And then there's COVID. It just won't go away. Some of you are still wearing the masks. You still are aware of this every moment of every day. Some of you have to wear your mask all day where you work. 
It's been a tough week. As I mentioned before, Isaiah had a tough lifetime. His ministry was trying to hold back the spiritual decay of both the northern kingdom of the Israelites and the southern kingdom. It didn't work in the north. God finally had enough of them. And it's not as though he couldn't protect him against the Assyrian armies. He sent them! Yes, God sent Assyria. He said, I'm whistling for them, like you'd whistle for your dog. And the southern kingdom was going to last another century, but it too would go down. But in the middle of all of that chaos and mess and destruction and social disintegration, God said, Isaiah, look at this. Here's what's really going on. You think the world is falling apart? Do you want to see the nerve center of the universe? Have a look at my throne. And I want to read with you today the New Testament equivalent of that. Knowing that God's people have struggled already during the years of the collapse of the Roman Empire, of the persecutions that the Christians had to endure, and then the chaos that came with the collapse of Roman government, early Christians long ago in the 400s decided to put the words, the lyrics to this right in their communion service whenever they would have the Lord's Supper. And some churches, you know, have it quarterly. Uh, some churches do it every week. We have it monthly, um, or the Saturdayers uh, also have it uh, like twice a month. But this, the holy song, the Sanctus song, is now built into that service to give you and me a glimpse and a reminder. Just chill, will you? It's okay. And in the middle of the chaos of the community at large, I haven't even mentioned the chaos and disintegration in your own life. What, what are the messes that you have to live in right now? What's the chaos and disintegration that's dogging you? What's breaking down in your life? Is it your health? Is it your financial situation? Do you have family chaos right now? Do you have unresolved mess that just never seems to get any better? Do you have conflicts at work that just don't go away? Are there people at work that make you miserable? Do you hate your job? Or worse, do you wish you had a job to hate? Have you been laid off and have not found something yet? There could be a hundred more things. Are your kids tormenting you? Or worse, are your parents tormenting you if you're a kid? Have you been or are now being abused by somebody within your knowledge circle? It could be all these things and so many more. Are you still not able to shake your addictions to alcohol or drugs? Or are, worse, are you being tormented by a family member you're dependent on who is a slave of alcohol or drugs? What could it be? What messes are going on in your life? Sing the holy, holy, holy song with me and take a few deep breaths and you'll be able to bear it a little bit longer. So the Sanctus, our holy song, basically sets up, it's the beginning of the communion part of our service. We do it after uh, the worship and praise part. We do it after the confession of faith, the message, scripture readings, and our offerings and prayers. 
And then the last part of the service is the communion part. And it's like a little, like a little lap around Holy Week every time we have communion, at least in, the, in a liturgical church that has what I call the, the full meal. Uh, it's, no, it's no shame, it's not a false doctrine if you have a snack worship, if you have worship light. We're having a little bit of it today. We've pruned some of the liturgical songs out uh, for this summertime. But next week we'll have communion and we'll do the whole thing. And it's a little taste of Holy Week again. Holy is the Lord God Almighty. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The Sanctus is a little reminder of Palm Sunday, Jesus riding into Jerusalem on his little donkey. The words of institution bring us back to Monday Thursday when Jesus gave the gift of himself, his body and blood for the first time to his disciples. The Agnus Dei, the Lamb of God song who takes away the sin of the world is a beautiful, slow, sweet song to the dying Jesus thanking him for giving us forgiveness of our sins at the cost of his life. And then the distribution of it is Easter all over again because Jesus lives and he gives his living self to you to eat and to drink so you can be alive too, alive now and alive forever. Isn't that cool? Can't wait for next week. I'm ready for it now. Might just go sneak into the altar guild room and have us quick communion snack after church because I've got myself all worked up and excited for it. And that holy song is based partly on Isaiah's vision of the seraphim and partly on this. You got a Bible near you? Let's dig in. And I want to read with you the second paragraph of Revelation 4. If you got a Bible anywhere near you, open it up. I want you to know how to find this in your Bible. John was not having a good time in his life. He had chaos and mess too. He's in his 90s. The persecution of Christians has begun in earnest. The Roman emperors already a generation earlier have signaled it's open season on Christians. Any civil uh, officer in the Roman government could do anything they wanted to any of the Christians without any sort of penalty. He's, they sent the message out, Christians have no civil rights. You can arrest them without habeas corpus. You can hold them as long as you want without charges. Trial, huh, irrelevant. Do them if you want. You certainly don't have to. Confiscate their property, threaten them, break up their families, send them into exile, put them uh, in uh, prison detention facilities. That's where John was right now, in a detention facility on an island and he, his heart was breaking because even though he was old, he, he never heard the word retirement. And he wanted to be doing his job, which was supervising the rapidly growing network of congregations in western Turkey, what is today the country of Turkey. Back then was Asia Minor. And he's dying a thousand deaths every day in frustration, spinning his wheels, waiting and wondering, Lord, what are you doing here? Why, are you unable to free me? Why are you letting this happen? And it's because God had to wait for him to get to be just the right age before he gave him the same gift he gave Isaiah and let him look at heaven. Like my friend John, just exhale. You're so worried that everything's collapsing. In fact, everything is going just the way I am managing it. 
Here's what John saw. I'm going to skip the first paragraph. Another day we'll go through that too. But the throne room of God in all its splendid beauty, it's more beautiful than the Emerald City. In fact, I think the Emerald City cobbed some of the ideas from Revelation 4. Surrounding him are 24 thrones representing the believers. Uh, a little note on the, the numbers in Revelation. The, uh, in the vision sections, and chapter 4 begins a vision section, are not to be taken literally. They are part of the color and drama and add emotion and color and flavor to the descriptions. They are there to teach you something, not because somebody did an inventory. What this actually means is that every time in Revelation when you see the number 12, you are getting a reference to the believers, to the church. And any multiple of 12, like 144, the number of thousands of, of the ones gathered, that just means God's going to get the full number in. When you see zeros added, those are intensifiers. Every zero adds one more exclamation point. They don't literally mean number of tens, hundreds, or thousands, or ten thousands. They're intensifiers. Twelves are the church. A pair of twelves is twelve for the Old Testament tribes, twelve for the New Testament apostles. Do you think it's any coincidence that Jesus selected twelve trainees for his traveling seminary for the class of 29 AD? I think not. And even when he lost one, he went and recruited another one himself. He went and got Paul so that he still would have 12. In fact, the Gospels over and over constantly are referring to Jesus and the 12. So that number is a big number. Jesus chose it on purpose, and it was built into the vision that John was allowed to see. So the leaders and believers of Old Testament times were all there. Not a one of them was lost. And the small little flock, but beginning to grow larger, of believers from New Testament times were gathered around as well. So the believers were there who had died. The second group we're going to read about now, so ready for paragraph two. In the center, around the throne, were four living creatures. Now, these are, are this is vision language. These are not literal. They are trying to show you something with big emotional impact. It's almost like a, an animated action film. You know, we've got a lot of fans of animated um, action movies here. And so just let your imagination go crazy. And just work with God here as he, he paints a picture for you uh, to teach you a few things. They're living creatures. John's revelation was based heavily for its imagery on the Old Testament prophets. He drew heavily from Isaiah. This is drawn from Ezekiel. Ezekiel tells you these living creatures, the four living creatures, are the cherubim, he said. Now, I got a, a word on that. It's the Hebrew word cheruv, nobody, no scholar knows exactly what that means. It's a mystery word. There are some guesses, but they're all just guesses. The fact is, nobody knows exactly what it means. The way the cherubim are described in Scripture, though, is not what you and I think of as cherubs. 
Uh, we've got cherubs on the wall up here. You see them? And there's some uh, with cute little wings floating around Jesus. You might have some cherubs on the Valentine's Day card you buy for somebody next um, February. Cherubs are cute little fat angels. That's a, a hallmark bit of weirdness that has nothing to do with reality. The, the Hebrew word, the cheruvim, apparently are also the same general group Scripture decides as the seraphim, uh, the seraphim, and we know what they are. Uh, seraph in Hebrew means to burn. They're the, the, the fire angels. Boy, you better be scared of them. There's one of them right up there on the wall. See that fire angel up there? Can you see his flaming lightsaber keeping people out of the Garden of Eden? That's an anger angel. It's an angel of judgment and punishment. You gotta, should be scared of angels like that. The fire angels will be doing the roundup of all of the unbelievers on Judgment Day. The cheruvim, the Greek word, the Greek equivalent is archangelos, the archangels. So this is the supreme high command of the angel armies gathered around. Uh, angels have many functions, but one of them is praise. And this, look what they're doing. They're covered with eyes front and back. And first you think, how weird. How weird is that? They sort of look like peacocks, you know, with their little eyes all over. This is not literal. You're not going to see angels in heaven loaded with eyeballs. What this means is that uh, supervision and, and they are intaking data, helping God execute his master plan for the world. They need to be watching everything that's going on. This just uh, emphasizes their eternal vigilance because the uh, scripture tells us in Hebrews that they are ministering spirits sent to minister whom? To you. You were going to say God, and that's correct as well. They are God's servants, but they're your servants too. And you're going to get promoted in heaven, but they're still going to be servants ministering to you as well. And they've got... Uh, they're taking data inputs so that they can, can watch the progress of God's great plan of salvation. And they're distinctive. They are different from one another. Now, these um, action figures, uh, God gave them sort of costumes. The angels don't really have flesh and blood like us, but they can have different representations. At this particular moment, features of four different visuals uh, John was allowed to see. And they're kind of intimidating. They're, the first was like a lion, the king of the beasts, roaring. The second, like an ox. What's the, what is the number one characteristic of an ox? How do we use that word today? What's the word we use with it? Thank you. I was going to stay with it for a while, but it could have been a while. We have a, there's a, like a cliche, man, that, that guy's strong as an ox. You think of strength. Have you ever seen an ox up close? They're enormous. Their shoulders are wider than my arms can reach. There's huge power concentrated on that big um, hump of muscle between uh, their shoulder, uh, between their, um, their arm sockets, shoulder sockets. Third, face like a man. So interestingly enough, angels will often take human representation 
as they reveal themselves. Uh, you, you probably know some of the stories of angels uh, passing themselves off or representing themselves as human beings. And it just shows how dialed in they are to how we are doing. Forth like a flying eagle. Well, the eagles, you know, are the king of the birds. Uh, they are majestic, insanely big wingspan. Have you ever seen an eagle close up? They're really big. They're beautiful birds and they soar on, on heat currents and they are like the top of the food chain in the bird world. They are just amazing. So mobility and speed are being emphasized here. So what do you see in these angels? They, they also are winged. They've got six wings. They, the angels don't necessarily really have wings, but this is an image to show you uh, three, really three things, that they're worshiping the majesty of God by hovering around him. They, are, they have mobility. They can go anywhere at lightning speed, way faster than you can. But also, they're modest because, as Isaiah said, they used those wings to shield their eyes. It's as though they're saying, Lord, we are unworthy to be in your presence. It's a worshipful act that you would shield your eyes and cover your feet with two of those wings. Uh, so mobility, majesty, and modesty, I think, are why they are presented in this way. And day and night they never stop saying, and here is their sanctus song. Sanctus is the Latin word for holy, and um, rather than call that song in the divine service the holy song or the holy, holy, holy song, uh, I hope to teach each generation to embrace its Latin title, because if you say sing the Sanctus, then you know exactly what you're talking about. Holy, and it's not said once but twice, holy again, and not twice but three, holy again. That obviously, uh, the triple things in reference to God always point to the Trinity, the, the miracle and the mystery of three and one and one and three. More on, on the word holy in just a minute. So his holiness is called out. His might is called out. He's the Lord God Almighty. There is no limit to what he can do, no limit to his holiness. He's not just pretty, a pretty good God. He's a holy God. And yet there are both people, the saints, and angels in his presence. So they must be holy too. Only holiness may appear before the Lord. And he's unlimited in his time span, who was and is and is to come. So they gave him praise for his holiness, his might, and his eternity. The God who always is. Another stupendous mystery. How can something always have been? There is nothing else in the universe that you can say that of. Everything else was made. Only our triune God has gone on forever and ever without change. I'm telling you that not so that you understand it. I'm just rolling out what Scripture says for you just to hug it and believe it. Don't try to dig too deeply into it because your brain will freeze up. There is no possible way to imagine how something can go on and on forever and not run out of energy. Our universe, the second law of thermodynamics, is that energy's running downhill, isn't it? Any science nerds here? Who of you can explain to others after church? about the second law of thermodynamics. Raise your hand if you know what that is. Two. Okay. I only saw two hands. They will be available in the back to answer your questions. 
Basically, it means everything's running downhill. We're, we're going from motion to the ceasing of motion. Everything is, is like running down. Because of friction and all kinds of other stuff, bodies in motion slowly become bodies in rest, kind of like me heading towards retirement. <laughs> so that's a joke. Oh, what a sober crowd this morning. <laughs> and how can God keep going and going like the Energizer Bunny with no, no batteries? What? what how does, where does all that energy come from? If our sun powers our whole solar system and all life on earth draws its energy from the sun, where did he get the energy to make 500 billion suns? Blows your mind. Don't even try to rationalize that. It's beyond your comprehension. All right, let's, let's wrap this up. A couple of takeaways for you. When you sing this song of the four living creatures, the archangels, and you join your voice to them, first of all, I want you to enjoy the coolness of the choir, the company you're keeping while you're singing that. You know, you probably sing a little bit at home. You might hum a Christian song, a hymn you like, or something you heard on Caleb, singing it around the house. Maybe sometimes you pray or talk or sing a little bit with family members if you're having a little family devotion. It's fun to kind of come here. I, I get such a buzz from joining my voice with yours, and you do more for me on Sunday than I ever do for you. You encourage me uh, not to lose my faith and to have strength to fight the devil for another week. But you know, we're, we're connected with all the Lutherans all outside of this church too. And not only the Lutherans, but all believers on earth. We have a horizontal fellowship and family relationship with all the believers everywhere horizontally and vertically too in time. You, when you sing this song of the archangels, you're singing with them and all the people who've died in faith who are waiting for the reunion with you. What a concept. We are tied into an enormous nation of believers. As you are struggling through the messes of your life, just remember you are part of something really big. And just glory in that and bask in it because it looks like we're getting hammered and falling behind and losing. Outwardly, we're withering away, the Bible says. Inwardly, though, the Lord is adding to his family in heaven. They're sailing in by the droves every day. They're sliding in. And that great umpire is calling them safe. Love it, love it, love it. Secondly, say that word holy and mean it. Because part one of this is you aren't. Give him the props he deserves. He really is holy through and through. That gives him the moral authority to be the judge of the earth. He can't trust you with judging. That's why Jesus said, do not judge so you will not be judged. You're not fit for judging because you're too flawed. You're too confused mentally. You're way too messed up emotionally. You would make bad decisions. Let God do the, I'm talking about spiritual judging. Our legal system does the best it can, but when Jesus said don't judge, he didn't mean abolish all courts in the land. He meant you believers, quit sitting in judgment of your fellow men and women and children. Let me sort out the judging. You just love them and share encouragement with them.
Here's another aspect of holy. Only holy people can be in that throne room. The fact that there are poor, miserable sinners in there on those 24 thrones representing all the believers shows that they are now holy too, pronounced holy by the blood of the Lamb. And through your faith in Jesus Christ, you are holy too. So when you are singing your holy song to God, he might just hum back, thank you, love it, thanks for singing to me today, and by the way, you are holy, holy, holy too. I'm giving you the holiness of my son for you to claim for yourself. Whoa, what a concept. And not only justified you, but he's sanctifying you as well. Sanctus, get it? Sanctusifying you. The Holy Spirit is now helping you to live what you say with your mouth. So that not only in word, but in deed, you are going to start looking like the person that you were created to be. I hope every time you sing the Sanctus or say it or think of the words in your mind, you will thrill at your personally being allowed close to God, pronounced holy, singing praises to the one who is holy, who is almighty, and who lives forever and ever. Amen. This message was a production of St. Marcus Lutheran Church. For similar content, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or our YouTube channel. For more information about how to support our urban gospel ministry in Milwaukee, please visit stmarcus.org.